0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Farzana Nayani, author of The Power of Employee Resource Groups, How People Create Authentic Change. Anti-Asian violence continues to proliferate, and there is still so much work to be done with promoting AAPI, Inclusion and History Initiatives. Helping AAPI staff feel safe in the workplace is one important component of that fight, according to Farzana Niaani, Of multi-ethnic Filipino and Pakistani background, she's a passionate advocate for the multiracial community. Through her coaching practice, she supports individuals to move towards healing, transformation, and achieving their full potential in a culturally sensitive and grounded way. She also works with Fortune 500 corporations, public agencies, and nonprofit organizations as a consultant and trainer on DEI and employee engagement. Her expertise has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, NPR, The Washington Post, the LA Times and many more. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Farzana.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, as I said, this is a, it's a very important topic, obviously, diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI. Um, Tell us, one of the things about your book or your new book, apparently, this book is uh, considered to be people-centric and socially conscious and thoughtfully takes into account the experiences of employees and leaders during current times. So your book has a little different twist to it, does it? Is that, is that what, um, I guess, um, what we're trying to say in terms of uh, other books that have been written about the same topic?
1: Absolutely. And in, in writing The Power of Employee Research Groups, I did center thinking about how employees feel given the pandemic and a lot of, uh, you know, reckoning around racial equity around the world. And indeed, there is a lot of great research done in academic fields as well as business case studies. But what was really lacking was the narrative around how to support people in the workplace. And as you mentioned, there is a rise, unfortunately, of anti-Asian racism as well as anti-Blackness and all of the other issues facing communities like the LGBTQ plus community and so on. So this book really centers how we support people from underrepresented groups within the workplace.
0: So in doing so, let's give some specific examples that are in the book. Um, how do you do that? How specifically can that be done? And you mentioned several groups. I think we can add to that group and anti-women now that we've also passed this, right. this law. <laughs> uh, prevent- mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, we- yeah. Absolutely. So so employee resource groups, or ERGs as they're known, are affinity-based networks. They're based on demographics. And what happens is a group of these individuals can come together in a company and not only uh, have a place to uh, gather and, and socialize, but also to really talk about issues. And an example I can give was when there was some legislation around uh, trans- and uh, LGBTQ plus identity in the military, uh, not only did the LGBTQ plus pride groups in companies address that, but they also were able to partner with veterans groups, which are also ERGs within companies. So not only are we seeing an individual issue be addressed, but they can also be approached by uh, a partnership among the ERGs. So it's super powerful to see how that uh, can be played out. In the case of Roe versus Wade, which is, you know, very current and uh, such a poignant topic for many people, definitely women's ERGs and, and, you know, ERGs, including all genders, have been uh, looking at how to hold space and facilitate conversations for people who are affected by this and just process uh, the news around the new uh, regulations.
0: What's interesting. Very often, um, Asian Americans are viewed as a group that uh, don't need this kind of support or don't need this mental or emotional support within a corporate environment. But uh, as you say, um, that's not really true. That, that's, that's a myth. So um, how do we, yeah, how do we work around that myth? Because I, I think that's a myth that really does pervade. Well, you know, this is a group that excels and uh, in school and in work and, and they, they don't need that kind of support.
1: Right. What you're talking about is called the model minority myth. And unfortunately, this myth has persisted. It's been around for generations. Historically, it was partnered with American Dream and how you come to this country and and you make it. Um, And Asians were in the media uh, and through various means uh, pitted against other minority groups as the model and ones that succeed and, and, you know, although people may think that's a benefit, it actually isn't because it's not true. There's a lot of disparity in the Asian community and there are, you know, many communities of need. There are refugees and so on. And what can happen in the workplace around that is people may take that and, and see people uh, thriving in the workplace and think that they're fine, but actually uh, they're not. And so Asian employees unfortunately are are feeling the effects of, you know, I don't know if you saw the statistic, Catherine, but there are uh, over 10,000 incidents that have been reported around anti-Asian hate, including violence, harassment, discrimination, uh, you know, and even murder. And unfortunately, as we return to work, people are feeling scared and nervous about that, of course, and uh are fearful and i have to say that there are uh you know there's a range of how workplaces are addressing this or are not some are ignoring it and and maybe don't feel that um they're making enough noise to warrant a a reaction in 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 the company uh whereas other groups are looking at how to really support all 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 identities but uh, in particular around this issue, how to support Asians.
0: How do they specifically, and I know obviously that's what you talk about in the book, but how do you do it specifically in a company? Is it different if it's a huge, large corporation or a medium-sized business or even a small uh, mom-and-pop type business?
1: Yeah, this can work across the board, and generally ERGs are at larger companies, but they are starting at startups and even if there isn't a large mass of people, what you can have is a group centered on the issue and then have what are called allies so people who don't belong to the group, participate and contribute and and also support. And what we're seeing is that that um, mechanism actually provides safety and comfort and and a place to uh, really come together around an issue, address it, and maybe even change policies within a company. So, in the case of uh, the Asian community, we're seeing how uh, your workplaces are, are looking at how people commute or don't commute and, and maybe try to be more flexible with the working from home beyond the pandemic needs and look at safety measures like providing uh, employees with pepper spray. Believe it or not, there are conversations. I, I was at a conversation at a major tech company uh, by an Asian ERG group. And that came up. They said that they trade uh, their uh, recommendations about what pepper spray to carry. And I was in shock when I heard that, but that's the reality, right? So, in in hearing that, I think company leaders also are informed about what's on the, the minds and in the hearts of their people. I had one ERG group where there's a woman who was off camera for her video call, and she apologized, and she later was very emotional, and we found out in the ERG space that her grandfather had been attacked an hour before the meeting, and so we put everything on hold and, and supported her and were able to um, advocate uh, for some support, you know, generally, and HR was able to provide some more guidance around using sick days for mental health that really cut across all communities but was sparked by that. So they are a powerful tool within organizations.
0: So how do you, uh, I guess, recognize or how do you know who your allies are in the corporation or in the business? How do you pick your allies? How does that work?
1: Actually, in my book, I have a framework called the DEI stakeholder composition framework. So diversity, equity, inclusion stakeholders are you know, what I talk about, they they could be champions or they could be resistors or they could be people on the fence who maybe need more education or maybe there are people who are actively, uh, you know, blocking the movement of this because of, you know, one reason or another. And to answer your question around who's your ally, I think, you know, the the people we see who are champions already are, so there isn't much that needs to be turned there. But I think that there is a, a big group of people that maybe don't know how to react but are motivated to and can go in the wrong direction or maybe are hesitant to act at all because, uh, they are not as informed about an issue. Uh, so I say we pay attention to that group as well. Uh, the, the group that, you know, really is digging their heels in and is, and is, you know, contrary to these efforts. I think spending time on that group, you know, can in the long run really help the initiatives, but in the short term, when we're in an urgent state, as we are now, uh, we really need those folks to help. And in addition to what we're seeing just with, with general uh, shootings in, in, in North America, unfortunately, there were some targeted towards Asians uh, in Atlanta a year ago, and there was one in Dallas not too long ago and another one in SoCal, where I live. So we don't hear that cut of it sometimes, right? But it's affecting specific communities and, in this case, the Asian community, which doesn't get as much visibility.
0: Uh, that's true. It's interesting what you say about the allies because I think maybe I'll repeat that because, yeah, the people that you already know who are out there fighting for you, you know who they are. It's those ones sort of lurking in the background that, may, mm-hmm. that you need to – yeah, that's an important point. You need to educate and bring them out and show it how – you know, how this works in a, in a very positive way. Um, I mean, that's a really good point. Uh, uh, so what about, I mean, can you give us specific, exi- like uh, almost like a case history uh, or a case study, I should say, not a case history, uh, of, of examples in corporation, ha- how this all works?
1: Yeah, definitely. So if there's a concern around safety and there's uh, a group that meets, to talk about uh, as you know an issue, and in this case, with the anti Asian racism i 've seen where there has been a conversation about partnering up when people walk um, to and from work to public transit, and I thought that was great, and it 's not just the Asian group right it 's the allies who are offering to do that um, we 're seeing other ways of um, creating solidarity. Uh, so, for example, within the Black community and the Asian community, there are, um, you know, a number of events around solidarity across the communities when there have been a lot of traumatic events for both of those communities, for example, recently and in an ongoing way. And so there could be an event that acknowledges that. Uh, we have May, the Asian, and American, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Um, But we also have June, which is Pride, and we're seeing some events that, you know, overlap and talk about the intersectionality of the identities and how we're all affected by, you know, laws or experiences that can suppress who we really are. So those are also really powerful. And, you know, with uh, the incidents of late where we're seeing some things internationally with the, um, the Prime Minister of Japan being assassinated and, and the Sri Lankan government also in a state of upheaval, uh, the question is, how are we supporting Asian employees who are connected to those countries or in Afghanistan or so on, right? And I think employee research groups are that more concentrated space where people can let their hair down and, and really talk about it, not necessarily about the politics of it, but how it's affecting people here. Versus just a general conversation about, oh, you know, life is difficult, which is true um, for all of us. But those really specific spaces can help surface anything that is needed.
0: Well, I assume you don't have to wait till there's a crisis. There's this the programs, obviously, that's set up. I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, certain meetings that you have monthly or weekly, or, but it, you don't wait till there's a crisis and then you go to HR and then figure out what you're going to do about the crisis, crises. Um, what, I mean, some people fall in both groups. You can be a gay Asian American. So you've got, that's Mm -hmm. one thing. (laughs) And, but the other thing is you mentioned solidarity among the groups like, um, um, black Americans, Asian Americans. Um, are there times when there isn't a solidarity when they're pitted against one, uh, you know, against each other, say in a corporate setting?
1: Yeah, there's, there's the idea that we have scarce resources and, you know, a community is in more need than another. And I, I don't believe that we have uh, success with the scarcity model. I think, of course, our communities of color and, and marginalized communities historically have faced a lot of pain and oppression. Look at the Native community and the Black community in the United States. That can exist, and also we can draw attention to other groups. The Latine, Latinx, Latino, Latina community um, with immigration and and other things have had waves of of attention, and with the shooting in Texas recently, too. How do we support people from all communities? So it's unfair for us to really point the finger and say one community is more important than the other. I think what I'm trying to outline here is that the way people show pain and, and, you know, need looks different. There can be some communities culturally that are outspoken about it and some that are more reserved. And in the case of the Atlanta shooting, you know, I the families of, of that, uh, the salon where these women worked who happened to be Asian, they didn't want their names released. They didn't want attention brought to this and that, um, with something new for nonprofits and ad, ad, advocates to learn from culturally, that how do we bring attention to a cause and, and you know, this incident without disrespecting uh, the families and the community because of cultural differences, right? If you think about it, there could be shame around, you know, uh, the women, first of all, working somewhere, um, you know, in like a salon, or also the fact that their families maybe want some privacy. So all of that, and and I'm not saying working at a salon is is a bad job, but it could be in that community, not something that is advertised, right? So that's the cultural cut to this. And when we come in with a broad brushstroke and think that, oh, the community is fine because they're not talking about it, so it must be okay, that's the wrong analysis here. The analysis should be how are we being culturally sensitive to the needs of each group?
0: Yeah, uh, that's also key, culturally sensitive. And I think one group doesn't necessarily know that about the cultural differences. Uh, obviously, that's, that have, has to do with what you're talking about, about education, et cetera, and family. And you, you don't expose your family to these kinds of things. You keep things within the family in many cultures, um, and, for, and, and that's a big difference. In other cultures where you're out there, you know, marching in the streets, that's a different thing. But right. How do, exactly. Know, how, yeah. So this is the other question. What about sort of, you know, you, you don't want to become the victim. And, you know, like how do you make it so that it doesn't say, It's it's a, a proactive approach, you know, ter- emotionally. It's not we're victims, we're victims, we're victims. I think that's an issue I was talking to. Colleague in the black community, and that's an issue that you know that that they struggle with. That of uh, feel you know of everyone. It sounds like you're always saying that you're the victim. You're the victim. So how do you kind of not do that? That that doesn't seem like a healthy way to promote change.
1: Well, it's what you said earlier. Setting up employee resource groups can happen throughout the year, not just in response to a tragedy. And same thing with any um, connection to a community. It can be celebratory throughout the year at all times and can also have a feedback loop where you know what's going on and you have friendships and, and collegial relationships. And that's the beauty and brilliance of setting up groups or, or initiatives or programs where that's in an ongoing way. I think the other point that's key is that, um, you know, our own awareness can be also a personal development process where we're always, uh, you know, in, in learning about other people. And then we can be sensitive when the time comes without having to go to the community that has experienced it when they're in pain and shock. And, you know, the last part about how do we not be victims, it's a great, great point. And there is now a movement that I'm seeing, and I was just in Kansas City for my book launch a few weeks ago, and there was a beautiful art exhibit uh, there uh, that was called I Am. And the artists in that area who were Asian put together an exhibit that was about who we are, not who we are as a victim. And it was a reclaiming of that narrative. And so the KC Arts and, and other organizations there, Arts KC, they put that together, right? With the com- with the community, so not only do we have allyship, but we had the artists themselves who are Asian, and the the expression around that was what you're saying. It's not that we're only victims. It's we have you know uh, you know different cultural uh, beauty talents and and experiences. So I I like to see that. I like to see entertainment and and storytelling. Uh, that that paints a broader picture and and can really have uh, a deep impact about, around who we are, so that we can develop empathy uh, when the time
0: comes. Well, as you said, you use the word uh, celebratory strengths those words uh, and that's who we are and of these different groups that we're talking about all of us and how do we incorporate that into your community, the corporation, because we're here to help you. We're here to strengthen the community. We're not here as victims. So I guess, and so my, yeah. And my question would be like, if one is applying for a job at a company, is there some an employee, an an Asian American, and what, is there anything that they should be doing or saying in terms of when they have a job interview or when they present themselves in their resume, um, that you know questions they may have about this particular organization that they're applying to that would you know impact the, their their um, relationship to the to that community.
1: Yeah, there are, there are two parts to it. So the candidate's experience, which is, you know, is there going to be support when I get there and asking if they have an ERG already or some programming or initiatives or even a person in charge of this is great to know. Uh, as employers, though, I think we also need to be mindful of how we screen candidates and how we interpret behavior. And, you know, someone who's uh, more introspective, again, that doesn't mean they're less assertive. It could mean that it's a cultural difference. So in my work as an organizational and diversity consultant, part of what we do is bring awareness to bias and processes that can screen people out and unfortunately create this um, lack of contact with how people are across the spectrum of identity and, and expression and communication style. And I think that's key here, Catherine, is how do we look at, you know, the larger scale in addition to those individual interactions? And, you know, I'm in, in the business of really pushing people to think about both at the same time. So this, this conversation, again, although it's unfortunate, it, it has been prompted by those incidents that are, you know, uh, tragic it also at the same time is a great opportunity for us to reevaluate what has been going on up until this point.
0: As a diversity coach, when you come into an organization, what kind of feed, what kind of negative feedback do you have to work through to even get your foot in the door and then to, uh, you know, set up programs or coach, um, those in the company managers, employees, et cetera.
1: I, I think the, the thing that, I still, um, uh, you know, coming to be aware of is the readiness level of where people are to even do this work. And there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of earnestness. There's a lot of uh, passion, but when you come in with something like, well, let's talk about diversity with, let's say the majority of the staff or the leaders who are not in contact with that, it can be an uphill battle at the beginning. And I think that there needs to be more work done internally to socialize this as a campaign. Uh, that's what we like to call it. The EI is a campaign in addition to the work itself, uh, being done around, you know, processes and policies and, and strategy. All of that stuff, uh, is stuff we're, we're all able to do. But the thing that can be hard for us as external consultants is that readiness piece. So I encourage anyone who's who's thinking about embarking upon engaging an outside consultant or any initiative just to, again, look at the stakeholders, look at their readiness level, look at the needs of the employees, really listen and observe, and from there gauge better because I think people have really delightful expectations and then the reality sinks in
0: yeah do you when you go into a company, do you pick your people like you can recognize those are going to be your allies? We were talking about allies before that they stand out and that the ones who mm-hmm. are gonna yeah and that you get them on board right away
1: yeah well there there usually is a committee or a council or a group of leaders that are running and driving the initiative. And then I really like to see the next layer of people who are those people I talked about who just need a little prompting or a little education or some direction of where to put their energy and and channel their efforts. And that's really fun for me because I feel like people are really open. I'll give you an example. We were working with a major um, national corporation that has offices across the country, and we were doing a focus group. And one of the fellows in there was very staunch and, and had a very abrupt uh, way of speaking. And, you know, when you come into a situation that can be judged, but what we came to learn was that his uh, child just went through a transition of becoming trans uh, and he worked in IT. And so he was really interested in looking at the IT setup of how pronouns, uh, and gender is used in in the technology at the company. And all of a sudden, the conversation changed to him, you know, seeming very assertive in some way to, hey, you know what? I'm going to use that assertiveness <laughs> to be an ally and to fix this. And I was so inspired by that. And I think it modeled it to everyone else in, in that focus group that we all can make that change from the vantage point of where we are, even if we're new to this.
0: And, I, and you um, can't make assumptions about people. You have to start from where they're coming from, and you don't always know where they're coming from. And that's re- I think that's what you're saying, too. Um, it's really important, um, this, especially the example you just gave, this um, person who didn't appear to be what, he, he didn't realize what he was going through initially and how that impacts how he's right. going to yeah engage with the group. Mm-hmm. Um well, we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to make sure that we do have websites. That, I mean, fascinating topic, and, and I thank you for being here today. So let's. what website can we go to for more information about the book and about you and about your work?
1: I have a, a website under my name and my consulting practice called com. That's so my first and last name, .com. And I am also launching a new portal that is a resource hub for employee resource groups. And it's called ERG Dynamics. And the website for that is ERGDynamics.com. And I'm on all socials. So social media is really great to to find me. LinkedIn in particular, under my name, and Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff, and Facebook.
0: So you're out there. (laughs)
1: Um, I, I'm, I'm doing my best and, and yeah. you know, appreciate the, the time here to talk as well.
0: Yeah, you're doing great. It's, uh, I want to mention the book again, The Power of Employee Resource Groups, How People Create Authentic Change. Farzana Nyanyi, she's the author. Um, again, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much,
1: Catherine.
0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.